Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Would you pray with me? God, we, we just rest in you together this morning. So thankful for the time that we've had to discuss your word and to encourage one another. God, thank you so much for placing us in such a wonderful family. And God, we're asking you to continue to knit our hearts together as sisters in Christ, as friends, as encouragers. And God, we, we're looking forward now to what you will teach us in your word as we open it and read it together. And God, um, as always, would you move me out of the way? Would you speak to us? Would you um, just teach us what, what you would have us to learn from this section of scripture? And we just trust you together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, I told you guys about my spiritual maturing process in reverse. How I went from trusting myself to be good to a childlike dependence in Christ's goodness, fully receiving God's justice and mercy in Jesus. Well, this week, I want to give you just a little sense of how long that process took. It's painful for me to say this, but I'm about to turn 47 in, in December, and it's really, <laughs> why are you laughing at that? <laughs> wow, I did not expect that. <laughs> anyway, it's only been in the last seven years that I've really honestly started walking in true freedom in Christ. So you do that math in your head. How long has that been? Don't say it. It's been a very long time, right? 40 years. That's so long. <laughs> yeah, the wilderness. <laughs> but I want to I encourage you that I don't want you to think that, that's, uh, that I wasn't saved during that time. Absolutely not. I told you last week that I was introduced to Jesus at a very young age that I trusted Jesus as my savior when I was nine years old. But salvation is a process. And I have been working out my salvation all this time, learning what it means to trust and obey Jesus as Lord. And in Joshua 11 through 13 that we've just been studying and discussing this morning, we follow Israel and Joshua as they continue to learn to trust God and his timing. So they head north to conquer the remaining cities of Canaan, to wage war against kings and armies as God leads them. And they don't get to define their success any more than I did. Their only hope is to trust God as they battle for many years to enter the rest that he had promised them. So I want us to open our Bibles up again this week. We're going to be reading some texts together from Joshua 11 to 13, and we're going to see how God reveals himself as trustworthy and patient. So as you're turning there, when you get to chapter 11, I want you to kind of skim through those first three verses with me, and we see this great number of northern kings coming together and assembling their armies to fight against Israel. I want you to look at verse four with me. It says, as they came out with their troops, a great horde in number like the sand that is on the seashore 
with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. So these northern kings, they come out with chariots and horses, signs of great technology and wealth, the best fighting resources that the world had to offer at the time. And they looked like a great horde. I'm not really sure what that looks like, but it doesn't sound good. It sounds daunting and terrifying. And it made me think of scenes uh, from the Lord of the Rings. So maybe it looked something like this. Oh, my sound is off. There's a lot of sound right here as they're getting ready to charge and the horns are blowing. I don't, I don't want you to lose sight that this looked like an undefeatable army and it looked terrifying and scary. And, and to this, in this setting, this is when the Lord says to them, remember, whenever he's about to say, don't be afraid, they're very afraid right? And so in, from that, in that scene, he says to them in, in, in verse 6, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow at this time, I will give over all of them slain to Israel. And then he says, you shall hamstring their horses. This hasn't happened yet. You shall do it. And just in case you're worried, hamstringing is not killing. It's debilitating the horses so that they are no longer able to fight, just in case you were worried. But he says, you shall do this and you shall burn their chariots with fire. I wonder if Joshua thought back to the last time horses and chariots chased after Israel more than 40 years earlier as they left Egypt where they were swallowed up by the Red Sea, something only God could do. Perhaps this helped Joshua summon the courage to trust that he had the greater power on his side. What seemed impossible was not impossible with God. Let's look at verse seven. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon and Misrephoth Mame and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said. The Lord said, you shall do it. And he did it. He hamstrung the horses and burned their chariots with fire. And this teaches us an important principle the principle is no matter how daunting the enemy looks, we can trust in the Lord our God. He is trustworthy. Israel didn't have the superior weapons of war, but they had God on their side. And as Western Christians, we often struggle with the opposite side of this temptation. We do have a lot of superior technology and resources available to us, in all aspects of our life. And if we're not careful before we know it, we are tempted to put more faith in created things than we do in the creator himself. And so just like Israel, we can allow our fear to paralyze our faith and we can worship safety more than we worship God. God expected Joshua to trust him more than his fear, to take him at his word, and to take on that overwhelming force with confidence in him. And he expects us to do the same. 
So we looked up this scripture in our homework this week from Psalm 20, verse 7, where it says, some trust in chariots and horses, but I want you to fill in the blank. What are you tempted to trust? Maybe it's people or the news or a threat level or an alarm system or a weapon or even human logic. What are you tempted to trust in? But we, all of us in this room, we are the people of God and we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Why? Well, we can face even our biggest fears because in Christ, God has given us ultimate victory over sin and even over death, which is, if we're honest, that's what we fear the most. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. We can stand firm and unshakable in Christ, even in the face of death. Well, I want you to continue down in verses 10 through 14. I'm going to summarize those here. Uh, Once again, in the northern part of Canaan, we see Joshua continuing to strike city after city, devoting them to destruction. So much bloodshed, leaving none that breathed, it says, burning everything and taking the spoils Until we read in verse 15, let's read that one together. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Wouldn't it be great if that was said about you, about me, that she did everything that the Lord commanded his servant? Well, Joshua continued taking the land, capturing kings, and putting them to death until we read in verse 18, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. We can sometimes read over that part really quickly, but a long time has passed. It's likely seven years that they have been fighting at this point. And the way that we know that is because um, the text tells us Caleb's age when they entered into Canaan. And it's going to tell us Caleb's age again next week in chapter 14. And so, so we can surmise seven years, seven years that they have been fighting, a very long time. Look on to verse 19. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites. Those were the ones we studied last week, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy, but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this includes the Anakim. I hope you talked about this at your table in verses 21 and 22. They were that race of giants that the 10 spies had so feared back in numbers saying that they were just too great to overcome. Well, guess what? They weren't. They weren't too great to overcome for our God. So in verse 23, it says, so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And then finally, the land had rest from war. It's very significant when we read that the land had rest. This reminds the readers of the creation story 
when God created order out of chaos, when he brought light into darkness, and then he rested from his work. This battle has been his battle all along in his timing, and he has created a place of rest for his covenant people. Israel is now receiving the inheritance that God determined for them long ago. And this teaches us another important principle. The battle may be long, but the victory is gained incrementally. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that our battle is different, right? It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is with sin, and it starts in our mind. Shelley did such a great job of detailing this battle. So we learned about Achan and his sin. And she pointed us to Jesus, who not only frees us from the penalty of sin, but he frees us from its power over us. And we gain this victory incrementally over time. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, And we all, with unfailed face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, Jesus' image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. One degree of glory to another can seem like a really long time. But we fix our eyes on Jesus with confidence, and his Spirit leads us into holiness. This process is called sanctification. God is setting you apart and conforming you into the image of Jesus. And while sin is still present here with us, and we know that, right? It has no power over you in Christ. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So in the end, there is coming a day where you will be free from the presence of sin as well, when God makes all things new. Well, we're gonna move now into chapter 12. Chapter 12 is a long list of defeated kings, right? The whole chapter. It's hard to read chapters like this. It's hard to read lists like this. Kind of just skip over them all, right? Sometimes. Uh, It's really an important list, though. Um, We have in verses one through six, we have the detail of all the kings that were defeated by Moses east of the Jordan before they even entered into Canaan. And then when we get into verses seven to 16, we have that list that we had last week, uh, plus Jericho and Ai. So that's 11, 11 kings in these cities. And then when we get to, uh, to, the, to the rest of the chapter, verses 13 to 24, we get 20 more defeated kings in northern Canaan. Here they all are. Until we get down to verse 24 that says that this amounted to 31 kings in all. 31 conquered kings could not stand before the Almighty God. And Israel will never forget this. Why? Because it was written down in this list so that it could be remembered by them and by us for all time. And this leads us to our third principle. God desires that his people keep a record of what he has done. 
This process of sanctification that I talked about before, it can be discouraging. It's hard and it can take a long time. And so I want to encourage you to keep a record or a list of defeated sin in your life. Maybe it could look something like this in, in a journal. You don't have to do it this way, but just keep a record, keep a record. This is just some things that I struggled with last week as I was putting this together. So you're gonna talk about the person that you're becoming. So on any given day, what has God enabled you to do today? Last week, I held my tongue today when talking to my husband. And this is true. <laughs> and I prayed for the woman who offended me at the grocery store rather than offering the snide remark that came to my head very quickly, right? So that's the person that I'm becoming. And then on the other side of the page, who I used to be. I used to be argumentative, and I still am, if I'm honest, but I'm working. God is working in me. And I used to be quick-tempered. I used to do things differently. A list like this can keep, help you when you feel discouraged, when you feel the most defeated. It helps you to look back and to see how God has been working in you incrementally over time. And I don't want you to feel burdened by this because the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and who is working this process of, of sanctification, we read in our homework, he's like a seal that's guarding the deposit of salvation that Jesus' blood has secured for you in your heart. So this process is not burdensome, it's life-giving. Our trust and obedience don't earn us anything from God, but rather it sets us free from sin's destructive power in our life. All right, we're gonna move on to chapter 13. We're gonna read this together starting in verse one. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. And he goes on to detail all these lands that they've got to take possession of until you get down to verse six, where it says, I will drive them out before, drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, for, now therefore divide this land to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So in case you missed it, Joshua was old, <laughs> right? We know that he was about 90 years old here. Uh, you can figure that out. And we know that he's going to live another 20 years before he dies. And so you would think that if anyone deserved a break, it was him. Time to kick up his feet and relax a little bit, right? But the text tells us that there remained work to be done, land to possess, and Joshua was to be a part of that distribution. God was not about to stop making his glory known to his people and to all the nations of the earth. And so this leads us to our last principle. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. He is at work and as a part of his people, we are on mission together until he calls us home. He needs every one of us at every age. So what do you do as your years advance? Paul reminds us in Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So I'm super excited to introduce to you a friend who has been living this truth for many years. Her name is Linda Strom, and she is the founder 
and the president of Discipleship Unlimited. She's a tireless encourager and supporter of me and many, many others. I want you to help, help me welcome her. She's coming up here with us. She is very old. <laughs> she is not. <laughs> so, Linda, I want you to just tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been following Jesus, serving um, in his kingdom. Well, that was really an interesting... She gave me the questions in advance, <laughs> and I have notes here, because when you have been doing this as long as I have, it's really easy to kind of get off in tangents, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try not to do that. I have been following the Lord Jesus for over 50 years, um, in 1963, I was really ambushed by the love of God. I was in a second marriage. I had a son that lived away from me in Pennsylvania with his grandparents. Uh, my in-laws, where I live now, which was in Minnesota, they didn't know that I'd been married and divorced, so I was kind of living a uh, sham. Uh, my husband knew everything, but he was about ready to cash it in because I had a very bad temper. And uh, and one night, I had thrown a pot of beans at my husband, and he really deserved it, i got to tell you. <laughs> he was a full-blooded Swede, and he loved to arouse my anger. I mean, that was a delight for him, and I could never retaliate. He was six foot four, and that night, I just had had it. And in that place of desperation, I was on my knees cleaning up this bean mess. And it had been in Corningware, so you can imagine what that was like. <laughs> and I, I wanted to die. I remember praying the prayer like, God, if there is a God, you've got to help me. And if you're not real, I can't make it in this world anymore. I'm desperate. And uh, Billy Graham was on that night. And mm-hmm. I, I just... The only way I can describe it is Brennan Manning said, I was ambushed by the love of God. He just came in and just, he loved on me. And uh, I was desperate for love. I grew up with an alcoholic father and through a lot of trauma. So, yeah, uh, over 50 years, I've been following the Lord. Well, um, I just want to tell you guys that this woman is like the Energizer Bunny. She has more energy than, than anyone that I know. And so my question to you is, where do you find the energy to serve in prison? She's in prison every single week, many, many days of the week. Where do you um, find it? I'm energized. <laughs> I mean, I'm energized by what God is doing. Now, I get tired. Um, I never make it through a TV program. I have a TV in my bedroom. <laughs> and one of the ways my mind will shut down is watching mindless things like I Love Lucy or Andy Griffith. <laughs> the old things that are on TV. Oh, my watch is ringing. <laughs> I'm still learning all this stuff. Everything You have all this stuff on you going off. Yeah, so I'm not allowed to take that into prison, which is a good thing. But I'm energized by what I see God doing, especially in the lives of the women in, in, that are incarcerated. One of the amazing things that just happened for us is uh, one of our volunteers has been ministering for four years in protective custody in Mountain View. And we have a couple of women in there that don't get along. I mean, you know, if you took your table and you all had to live locked up together, <laughs> uh, you might not get along too well. <laughs> And so we had two women that were not getting along. In fact, they lost their garden that we were able to get for them, and they'd been doing such a good job because these two women didn't agree on how to do gardening. 
So Amber Geiger was mm -hmm. transferred into their unit. And my prayer was that all that, the, that we had planted, and not us, but the word, would just come alive in them. And that they'd forget their differences. And Adrena said when she went in there, they were surrounding a, uh, Amber's cell because she's not allowed to come out for six months. And they were, they'd been praying for her. They'd been encouraging her. They told her that she was going to make it, that her family was going to make it. And, uh, and that's, that's energizing for me. I mean, it, it's like you don't think about whether you're tired or your feet hurt, although my feet do hurt sometimes. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter. I mean, mm -hmm. because the passion for seeing people liberated and I think mm -hmm. I, I just had that from the time I, I accepted the Lord. I told my in-laws that very night. I didn't tell them about my son. But fortunately, my in-laws were believers. And uh, it's about four months later, they met Terry. I went and got him because I had a new power, a new assurance about who I was. And my mother-in-law was my Ruth. I mean, my Naomi and I was her Ruth. Um, mm -hmm. She said, always oh, beautiful, and he looks just like you. <laughs> and she didn't ask me questions. It was that unconditional love. So I'm energized when I see God at work. Yeah. That's so cool, because when I saw that Amber Geiger was going, you know, when um, that guy said, my only hope for you is that you know Christ, mm -hmm. I said, He's, she is going to Gatesville, <laughs> and she, she will know Christ because of my friend Linda Strong. Oh, no. And I was so... I was so confident in that and so yeah. encouraged by that. Yeah. Um, how, long, how long have you been in the prisons in Gatesville? Um, we, came, we came in, two th well, in Gatesville, I first came in 1987. We had Discipleship Unlimited. We started with Campus Crusade. Four years later, started Discipleship Unlimited. And um, my brother was a doctor in a prison. We were training people in churches how to share their faith. And people in churches don't want to learn around a table like this. So I got a new idea. You take them to prison because <laughs> there are so many women in there and those women are desperate for Jesus like I was. And they're going to say to you, how do I come to know Jesus like you know Jesus? And all of a sudden you're telling people about Jesus and you didn't go through the seminar. And it's kind of, <laughs> it's really nice. It's like <laughs> practicing it and seeing God at work. And so what was the question? No, just how long you had been, how long you had been oh, in the okay. prisons. So in 1987, yeah. I came for the first time to Mountain View from Wisconsin. And, and for 11 years, came from Wisconsin to Mountain View. And then, of course, most of you that have heard me before, you know that I was a spiritual advisor for Carla Faye Tucker's execution. And after the execution, I ended up writing a book about our walk together because it was an 11 years of seeing. You see the Bible come alive when you're in places where only God can get you through the situation. And you don't have a plan. And in fact, if you have a plan, it's not going to work because TDCJ has their plan. <laughs> and the thing I've seen most in prison is that there's an underground work of of the spirit. And if you just let go and trust him, he's going to get you where you need to be. I mean, is that not energizing? <laughs> and so, um, I, in 2001, my husband and I were taking these people through purpose driven life and we'd been married 40 years. And as we're in the middle of it, it's like, gee, why are we living in Wisconsin instead of Texas? 
And so I brought my husband down to Gatesville to look at property, and it was on the golf course. <laughs> now, he is a real slow mover. Well, no, yeah, he is, but he's with the Lord right now. <laughs> but even when he was dying, I mean, they said he wouldn't make it. And so we were planning how to get my son here and everything. And he didn't die. And then they told us he won't make it through this. So we thought, well, that'll give Steve time and it'll help us with airfare. He didn't die. I said, you know, your dad's never been on time for anything. <laughs> so we might as well just forget this. He's going to die when he's ready mm-hmm. and when God's ready to take him. So we'll, we'll eat the fare, but not keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Not that we wanted him to, but a uh, week before we moved, he was diagnosed with cancer. And when I came to TBC, it was like the death of a vision. I mean, we had left everybody, including my only grandson at the time, uh, moved to Texas, didn't really have any plan. He he uh, had aggressive cancer, but he lived for five years here. And uh, and it was just a, a hard time. But so how that, long has he been gone? He's been 11 years, 11 and a half years. So 11 and a half years, she's been continuing this work as a widow. And um, such an encouragement to well, me. Well, you know, so. it's, it's, it exploded because people knew I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so they came, it's like you're on a stretcher, mm-hmm. and you got all these people carrying the stretcher. And now I have all these people, and they're still, they're carrying other stretchers, and they're just empowered to move ahead because they've caught the vision for it. And, and so even though he's been dead 11 years, and I love my husband, don't get me wrong, but it's like he's always with me, and it's not like it's been a long, hard time for me. It's, it's like... Mm-hmm. Time has flown, and mm-hmm. I know he said at the end of his life, he goes, you're just going to come running across the finish line, and I'm going to be there and uh, to just hold you when you get across the finish line. So just Amen. keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And it's been a great joy for me to have had a husband who released me to serve in ministry. Absolutely. Well, tell us what you're most excited about, what you see God doing uh, through Discipleship Unlimited and what you're excited about in the future. We just have a few minutes left. Okay. Um, well, I'm excited about our women. Um, I, I can't... And, you know, we do have two men's dorms. We have seven women's dorms. We, we minister to over 300 women a week, three nights a week, plus other things that we do in the prison as well. But there's two men's units. But I'm most excited about seeing God at work in them. Like, one of our girls has been out of prison 11 years. She did five years manufacturing meth um, and other drugs. Lost her, um, she was going to be a nurse. Now she went on and finished school. She went and worked at La Hacienda as a drug and alcohol counselor. The state of Texas has now hired her to work at the Johnson unit. So she said, I knew I'd get paid for being in prison. (laughs) And then we have like one of our girls that will be here this weekend for refuel. We have times where we gather together with those that have come out of prison. The women that have come out of prison are like our family. Um, One of the girls runs at Goodwill, one of the Goodwills in San Antonio. They're helping others. Lisa Isinger comes here to church. She was here with Treehouse Farms this weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's on the staff of Treehouse Farms. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about the fact that they've got the vision and also the reentry DVD. We had mm-hmm. t- over 25 of our alumni 
who are now home that are on these DVDs and gave their time and are trying to help. I mean, they're saying to the girls that are incarcerated, if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah, these are the, these are the DVDs that we, all the money that we're raising here each week is going towards the production of these DVDs. So I want to highlight that. Linda, I know you have a verse to encourage us with. Yeah. So I wanted you to share that yeah, with you us. Take that. <laughs> okay, it's... Isaiah 58. I love Isaiah 58 anyway because, you know, so many times they, people talk about um, getting healed or inner healing. And I have taken so many people to prison to get healed because it says that when we do the things that, uh, that Isaiah 58 talks about, like going to uh, the prison, feeding the, the hungry taking care of the poor, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. If you're trying to get healed just by reading books and sitting around crying, (laughs) no, uh, no. It says, come on out and get in the light and start moving and start ministering to others and then your healing will come forth. But that wasn't the verse. Um, I like this part. At the end of Isaiah 58, it's just like my favorite. It says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. Isn't that good news? I mean, I need my frame strengthened, my my core. (laughs) And then it says this, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called a repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwelling. We're sending our girls back into the central city, back into their um, drug-controlled environments, but we're not sending them back without support, without help. And that, that to me, um, there's nothing like it. It's Mm -hmm. like seeing freedom proclaiming freedom for captives. And I thank TBC for that. I just saw Sandy sitting here. When we started, we didn't have any money. And TBC got our first faith-based dorm up and going, the Murray Unit dorm. It's still going to this day. The girl that runs the Goodwill in, in San Antonio, she graduated from that Murray dorm. And then we started the Hobby dorm. And it's just been... Um, it's, it's been because I haven't had any assets or resources, and God's just said, here's the people. Mm-hmm. You're in human resources. You just put them in the places where they belong, and yeah. that's all. <laughs> I, can, I can testify, and I hope you can see that, that, that this woman does not trust in retirement or in money or in good health or in anything else. She trusts in the name of the Lord her God. And so to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to pray for her. We'll close. God, we just praise your name. I just thank you for the testimony that you've given us through Linda. And I just thank you for the work that you are doing through her and through her team. And God, we come alongside and we support um, that as co-laborers. And God, would you teach us that, that you have work for us to do, no matter what age we are, no matter what context we find ourselves in, um, you have something for us to do, Lord, to make your glory known. And so would you give us the courage to do it? We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.